Hello everyone. I'm really excited today to have Lauda, my former coworker who is a deportation defense attorney for children uh, here in Tucson to talk about the novel Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, Lauda, do you want to introduce yourself and share how you came to Tucson? Sure. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to do this and to read this book. Yeah. Um, so I came here to work at the Florence Project on the kids team, so working with kids who are detained by the U.S. government. Before this, I was working in Las Vegas um, doing similar work, working with kids in deportation defense and also adults and detained adults and uh, working with the immigration clinic at the law school there. Cool. Okay, so we were kind of already getting into this uh, a few minutes ago, but to, I guess first I should give a little summary of the book. So. There Is for Watching God follows Janie, who is a black woman raised by her grandmother, who wants Janie to survive in this patriarchal and racist post-Civil War U.S. And at 16 years old, Janie has her first kiss, and it makes her grandmother freak out with worry. Uh, the narrator says, quote-unquote, that was the end of her childhood. And she says she wants the best for Janie, and what that meant for her from her grandmother's perspective was that she wanted her to be married before she died. And so she ended up marrying Joe Starks, who's the mayor of this all-black town. And it was an awful, loveless relationship. And then as a widow, she meets Tea Cake, who is kind of like her love, or who is her love, mm -hmm. and uh, makes a new life with him in the Everglades. I wanted to start with that because I wanted to ask if you could relate to the theme of society imposing womanhood onto you, which like actually like what it means to come into womanhood is being sexualized without your consent. Yeah, I think I was thinking about that question a lot and what I kind of realized in thinking that that I, I don't think I've ever realized this before is that I think like feeling like, you know, becoming a woman is entirely something that is imposed on us by other people yeah and I'd never really realized that before it is like it's it has nothing to do with you know with me it had nothing to do for me at least with understanding what it means to be a woman I feel like I didn't even think about what it what I understand it to mean yeah until recently like I'm still figuring that out mm -hmm. but <laughs> like around the time that like you're body starts to become attractive to men mm -hmm. suddenly you're a woman yeah which is something outside of your control and often happens like i mean in both of our stories it happened before we ourselves really considered our, ourselves sexual beings yeah totally i mean you're yeah i mean it doesn't correspond to any kind of internal realization or anything like yeah. that yeah yeah yeah, so for me, what I immediately thought of this moment that it's like so... I just remember it very vividly. I was 14 years old, and uh, I think there was a neighbor across the street who was like friendly with my family. I think my little brother was over there like playing with their daughter, and I was supposed to go over there and tell him that it was like time to come back for dinner. And this, like, middle-aged white man, like, honestly, maybe even older than that, like, definitely someone who should not have been making inappropriate comments about a 14-year-old was like, oh, is that Yvette? Wow, she looks hot. And I was, and, like, his wife laughed, which made me feel so uncomfortable and sorry for her. And my parents also, like, didn't think it was 
a big they didn't say anything about it they didn't think it was wrong and that made me realize that it's normalized in our society for like young girls to be sexualized like even my own parents didn't think that there was anything wrong with that or if they did they didn't express it to me right <laughs> yeah I mean it is I think it is totally normal and I mean and also about parents my story I guess like that is when I was about 12 I was shopping at Forever 21 and came home with this shirt that I thought was super cute it was like a polo shirt um but like a little bit more stylish. <laughs> it was a v-neck. It was a v-neck. Yeah. yeah, it was like a, a v-neck, but it had like the collar and like was white, white, with pink stripes. And I think I can kind of picture that. Style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was about twelve, and I came home with this shirt. I was showing my my dad, I guess, what I bought, and he just got really like mad and was just like, "You can't wear that." And we got in this big fight about it because it was totally unexpected to me because yeah. I was just like, "What? This is just like it's like a." Mm t-shirt like and he actually ended up taking it from me and I realized you know later it was because basically he thought I like I would look too appealing right or too sexy or something in this shirt yeah but I was yeah because I had boobs at that point (laughs) yeah right but like I did I was like starting to have boobs at that point but to me it didn't really mean anything like I didn't have any concept of myself as like a sex object at that point but it was like my dad I felt like wasn't forcing that on me of like no people are looking at you this way and and I feel like for me that sort of was what it meant to be become a woman for my dad to be telling me like basically you're a woman now because you could be seen as a sexual object and so I need to control you more Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what happened to Janie in the book like uh, she has her first kiss with somebody at 16 and then her grandma sees it and it's like you need to get married now and so she ends up marrying this older man who actually does exercise a ton of control over her because he's the mayor he's this public figure and when they're out in public he just would make sure that she knew that she needed to be quiet yeah I felt like that part was I mean it is it is strange, right? That the grandma basically was saying, I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. And so the way to protect you is to just give you to a man yeah. or force you into this relationship you don't want mm-hmm. because that's the only way to keep you safe. But I mean, it's also, you know, it's not. It's not safe. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, because she, I felt like in the book, the narrator showed how she was kind of losing her soul. Yeah. Being with, Joe Stark like I I wrote something down where she said like she was really into him at first because it was kind of like the her first suitor and then there's a moment where they're in public and somebody asks Janie a question like her opinion is asked and he just he cuts her off before she says anything and he answers for her and then the narrator said something like at that moment, the the bloom of the love that she felt ended. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that was the part where, like, everyone's talking and joking and someone wanted her to make a speech. Yeah, somebody wanted her to speak. Somebody asked her yeah. to speak. And um, I think it said, you know, from Jane's perspective, whether or not she wanted to say anything or not, it was the fact that he cut her off without asking her that made her become disenchanted. And from then on, she just... She saw how controlling he was and wasn't happy. Yeah, I think that, to me, that was one of the more, like, interesting kind of aspects of this book is, like, the difference between, 
you know, how she's feeling about everything, like all of these expectations and, and everything that her husband has for her, everything, all his ideas of what a woman should be that he's trying to put on her and how internally dissatisfied she is with that, but how much she feels the pressure to just go along with it. And she does, like, for years. Yeah. And I I understand where the grandmother is coming from. I mean, I just think that's what happens when there are no alternative structures except for the nuclear family. Yes. Like, Janie couldn't live by herself at this time, or people would talk. Right. I don't know. There was... Like, as soon as she was a widow, she had all these suitors because it was kind of, like, societally understood that she was going to need to marry somebody. Yeah. If she was going to be, quote-unquote, safe or, like, taken care of. Yeah. But it's still horrible. It's so sad. Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to talk about the the first few lines. So, okay, she starts off... Because I think it's such an interesting way to start a book. She goes, Ships at a distance have every man's wish on board. For some, they come in with the tide. For others, they sail forever on the horizon, never out of sight, never landing until the watcher turns his eyes away in resignation, his dreams mocked to death by time. That is the life of men. Now women forget all those things they don't want to remember and remember everything they don't want to forget. The dream is the truth, then they act and do things accordingly. What was your reaction to that quote, and what did you feel she was trying to communicate about gender and dreams? I felt, I think I had to read it a couple times, and I feel like I'm still, I'm still not totally sure if I got it. Yeah. But I think it, it kind of, it does go back to this, throughout the, the relationship with Joe Stark, how she was you know, dissatisfied with how he's treating her and was having problems with it. But she she went along with it because there were no other options. Yeah. Because society basically has, like you were saying, like this one place for women mm-hmm. and there isn't anything else. And I felt, I did think back to this first, this first few, few sentences. And I think it's just basically women shouldn't be dreaming. Like you, you have, your life is what it is right now. And, you know, you are better off just forgetting the things that are that are bad and just moving forward and just thinking about the good things but that for men you know it's not it's not like that you can imagine what kind of life you want you can seek that you can have dreams and goals and you don't need to be as limited she says some are mocked you know by time so not everyone's achieving their dreams but they have the freedom at least to to dream them but she says the dream is the truth for women I thought I felt like it was like the truth of what her situation is is the dream like it's one and the same like she can't women don't dream at that time at least women were you know not really expected or able to dream outside of like their current situation I think they weren't allowed to like really in a meaningful way move out of their patriarchal situation but I feel like dreaming is resistance that's kind of how I understood for women is how I understood it because and I think she's saying something about memory about how I mean I think she's talking about how women cope yeah like women of color yeah. cope by forgetting things that are too hard to think about yeah 
One thing I wondered, and I don't want to make this like confusing, but <laughs> like at the end, she does say, she says, like, I've been to the horizon. Mm. And I was wondering. Wait, if, where's that? Yeah, so in the last chapter, the, the main character, Janie, says to her friend, her like longtime friend, Phoebe, she says, I've been to the horizon and back now. Mm. And I think it's really interesting, especially because in the beginning, it's like the, it's like the narrator saying it guess, about yeah, the, that's true. the dreams of men are on the horizon. Yeah. And then it actually goes at the end and she, the character, like says that in her words. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting way of, at the very end, bringing that theme back. Yeah. Kind of subtly. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't totally sure what to make of that. I feel like she's saying that women are more ambitious than men. Because she talks about these men who, for them, like some men's wishes come in with the tide, but others sail forever on the horizon. You can see them, but you're still far away from them, and time mocks your dreams. But for women, the dream is the truth, then they act and do things accordingly. And I feel like, I I mean, was Janie living out her dream? I know. The tea cake? Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know. It's like I'm not fully on the tea cake bandwagon because he hit her. Right. Yeah, and yeah, all the circumstances around that were just... It was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but you're right. It's like she says, like, with men in the beginning, she says some men's dreams just sail forever on the horizon. Yeah. Like, they never get to them. Yeah. And she's and like, she my dreams were way out there. Yeah. And, and I she did. pulled in the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And I think that that is true, right? Because there was risk in going off with tea cake because he didn't have money like Joe Stark did. And, I mean, the first time that a man randomly propositioned her, it didn't go well. So yeah. it was really her, like... I don't know, because if you think about it, like, logically, you probably... I don't, not logically, but... I could see somebody responding emotionally, being like, I just can't open my heart up to love again. Yeah, I thought that too. I thought the same thing. I was like, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> you know? I mean, think about it. She was married to that dude when she, she was 16. Like, yeah. she didn't really know anything else. So yeah. I, could, I totally understand somebody being really scared of getting into a new situation. But she forgot what she didn't want to remember. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I just, I love that beginning. I was just so blown away like wow I feel like there's so much here and I don't I need to reread it to get it (laughs) yeah I mean especially just even the question of what yeah was this her dream because in a way you still have this where she's still I feel like she's still the character of Janie is still kind of always like defining herself by whatever relationship she's in yeah and like you never see her critiques of the book okay yeah that she it was kind of like what is she saying about women's agency and voice if yeah kind of like her whole story hinges on men yeah and each of the relationships she actually gets into it in a way that kind of lacks agency yeah like it is but like, she chose to go with tea cake right and she chose to go with joe stark too in a way like it was yeah. but it it doesn't feel like I mean, it, it. you never see her want anything outside of this the realm of her relationships, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that's an accurate depiction of the time period, though. Yeah. 
because I think like I as a black woman it would be ideal to not have to work anywhere and just be a housewife because that's that was like a status symbol yeah that a lot of black families weren't able to achieve yeah This is also something I wanted to ask because another critique of the book was that she glamorized like post-Civil War life in the U.S. for black folks because, you know, after slavery quote-unquote ended, actually vagrancy codes and black codes made it so that it was really easy to arbitrarily arrest a black person, imprison them, and then force them to work for little to no wages. So people were like, well, you know, she didn't, she didn't write about that. And she just wrote about these love stories. And that's not, you know, that's not realistic. She's, she's glamorizing it. I totally disagree with that reading because I actually think she really smartly wove in those things. Like yeah. when, when her and Teakik were in the Everglades and they had just had that huge storm. Janie was talking about how they needed to be careful because... Like white men were going around and rounding up black men to dig graves for the dead, and they're like they're they're taking anybody, and they're they're like because I think you could arrest somebody if they were jobless, quote unquote, mm-hmm. if they were a vagrant. So what that meant is like literally they would just get somebody who was black and then have them dig the grave. Yeah, and so that was a it's kind of it was almost like in passing that she mentioned it, but. Like, it wasn't really a central plot point. But I think she communicated the fears of that time period while also showing that the black characters can have joy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't agree with that criticism. I don't think it seemed, like, glamorous. No. She wasn't painting, like, a super glamorous picture. Yeah, right. But I agree. It's like, even people who have who are living in that kind of circumstance where they can be arbitrarily arrested, and that's terrible, but that's not their whole story right and like that's just not the story she was trying to tell mm-hmm. like there was that one character the one who says the one Janie meets in the everglades the woman who is a mixed person and oh, says yes. she she keeps she has basically very racist opinions yeah and one of the things she says that i thought was probably intentionally put in there is she says one of her complaints about black people is that they're laughing all the time Oh my god. And it's like, I feel like that is something that the author is, like, showing us. That there is a lot of joy and, you know, there's love and there's people having fun. And that makes some people angry. But I appreciate that, you know, that she was trying to tell a different story than sort of the sociopolitical story. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's dry and incomplete. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> people are full people, and I think it's like, you know, people in power, like, seeing trauma porn, like... Yeah. You know, like, oh, the like the little girl in the family separation crisis yeah. was on the cover of Time magazine, like, crying for her mom. Yeah. You shouldn't have to see that to feel yeah. the pain. And I didn't have to read about... In like intense beatings in prison to get you to work harder to know that yeah like they were in a bad situation and they at times were powerless to the state and to white people yeah I mean without I, like centering that it's like because that doesn't right. define them I think that's that's something I was thinking too about the parallel to 
how the media and different stories portray immigrants right yes, now. Yes, I was just thinking about undocumented people. Yeah, it's always it's the same thing. Yeah, it's like there's so much more. Yeah. Like it doesn't need to always be a story of like, are you, you know, going to the best college and like having all these great things happening or are you getting arrested yeah. or are you suffering abuse? Like there's so much more. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the only story anyone wants to tell is that that one of being a victim of like being that traumatized asylum seeker yeah yeah and you can't just be somebody who wants to live a happy life with their family right oh so we also talked about this a bit i wanted to know what you thought of the narration so it was described as third person but also had moments of quote-unquote free indirect discourse and Henry Louis Gates called it a highly idiomatic black voice. I really appreciate it. So yeah, we, this is like one of the first things you said when you walked in is that the, some of it was a little bit difficult to get into the book because of the way that the dialogue was written. Mm-hmm. She she wrote the way that black folks spoke, and that was actually something that was pretty new for her time period, and especially because. She was kind of in like sociology and anthropology circles, and that was definitely a no-no there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, she, and she was actually criticized, right? You, what did you say about that? Yeah, I was reading some of the criticism was that a lot of educated Black people were saying that she was sort of they felt like it was sort of like being performative and like mocking of Black people for in the white gaze. Mm-hmm. So people felt like that wasn't the right way to write about black people yeah they felt like she was a characterizing yeah caricaturizing yes exactly (laughs) yeah no but i think she was actually just portraying people as they are and i think there's a little bit of respectability politics going on there especially if it was like oh the educated black community that was right (laughs) i you know it's like that's that is the way that people speak and why would we make it seem like they speak quote-unquote grammatically correct english when we know that those are racialized things right well and also it's like why why does that need to be the norm right like yeah because i was thinking it's really interesting the way she goes between the dialogue which is written in this more literal way of like how someone sounds when they're talking and then the narration is does actually sound very more typical very educated Mm -hmm. and i thought that was really interesting because to me i felt like it was sort of showing that like you can have both like to me i thought it was highlighting that the way someone talks you know just because they don't talk in this way that we associate with being more educated doesn't mean they're not having thoughts that are just as complex yeah or like their perspectives aren't just as meaningful right and i thought weaving in that the the narrator or I don't know. Yeah, there's like a narrator voice and there's a dialogue. Yeah. So I feel like weaving in the narrator voice that is more of this kind of traditional, grammatically correct Mm -hmm. way of writing with this dialogue, I thought that was actually powerful. Yeah, I agree. I'm just thinking about Margaret Montoya, who was a professor, I think at Harvard Law, but she wrote wrote this law review article called Unbraiding My Trenzas. It was a metaphor about, like, Latinas changing a white academic space by, like, she, she talked about how she would always insert uh, Spanglish into both her lectures and in that law review article. She has, like, bits of Spanish into it, and she was like, it was important for me to include these Spanish words and, like, these traditional greetings and these things from my childhood 
about being Gringuda and having messy hair and my braids because that is not seen as academic and Mm -hmm. why is that not seen as academic? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot recently actually because for the first time ever I've been on some hiring committees and (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to say anything but I obviously can't reveal. Right, but I just, it made me think about when we look at somebody's qualifications Mm -hmm. and whether it's a lawyer or basically in the context of law and I was thinking and I'm like these qualifications that are pretty much standard at least in the United States of what makes someone a strong applicant versus a weak one these are really centered around whiteness and and qualities that I think are equally important actually especially in in work like mine like as an immigration lawyer Mm -hmm. who does deportation defense I'm like, there's other qualities that are actually equally important, I think, right. for that kind of job. Yeah. And, like, who set these standards? Right. And we really just let them continue and continue, and we don't question them. Yeah. But but this is the first time that I've been in the position not to make those decisions, but to have input in those decisions. Yeah. And it really made me think, are we across the board, especially in, in professions like law and stuff like that, like, maybe we're not always considering the right things. No, especially because... So I think that's how you end up... At, with nonprofits that are doing deportation defense or like generally immigration law, and they're all white. Exactly. Yeah, and like I had an experience like that in the Bay Area with a place that I interned. I've mentioned this place multiple times on this podcast, so I feel like <laughs> anybody that's been listening probably already knows who I'm talking about. But it, oh my god, no, I'm not gonna get into that. Um, why don't we value being directly impacted by these yeah, systems? Yeah, exactly. Like how, who better knows these systems, how awful they are, and yeah. also how to survive it? Yeah. People who are directly impacted. Yeah. And I agree. That there's, I think there's so many jobs in this, like, you know, professionalized nonprofit world that actually don't require a college degree or, like, the things that you're yeah. supposedly earn when you're in college. Right. And instead, we're looking at how sophisticated is your writing? Mm-hmm. Or, like, do you talk like you've been... Do you talk like you have a elite education? And yeah. really like How why you write is that? your emails? Yeah, exactly. And so I feel like this the way she does this in this book of like mixing this, you know, writing out the dialogue, the way people actually talk, and then mixing it with this sort of more grammatically correct and like educated sounding narrator is like the way you talk doesn't really reveal what you know what is going on like what kind of thoughts you're having how smart you are yeah, like how, how valuable your insight exactly is. yeah so i actually i really appreciated that yeah i liked it a lot too so we sort of started getting into this um where we talked about how we didn't like tea cake because he hit Janie. what did you think about their relationship overall so I'm not sure because so I this is like a question I have and I wonder what you think about it so when he first when they meet you know she is already widowed and she's in the store that she was running for her her husband who's the mayor and then tea cake comes in and is like knows her and a lot of the men knew that she was recently widowed yeah that she probably has money that you know right and so they're trying to be her suitor yeah and i feel like they never go into that but it's like is that why he was there too yeah because like that to me like that i don't know maybe it shouldn't matter that much but he knew who she was she's never seen him before and so i feel like i want to know or what did you think did you feel like he was also in there to try to pick up this widow this rich widow i didn't even have that thought but honestly i think that 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 question should be asked 
like really skeptical of men. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm the same. I'm I didn't have that thought. Well, because I think I didn't have that thought because he actually. I don't know, but it, it was kind of societally known that she had a lot of money. Because I was going to say, they never had an explicit conversation where she shared how much money she had. Right. And he did support her, right? Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he did. He did, but he just, like, didn't... It wasn't the fancy life that you had with the mayor, Joe Stark. Yeah, but what, why... Like, they'd never met before. Like, why did he go in there? You know? And yeah, he knew no, that, who she no, was. That, that is weird. And he went during, like, a... Like a baseball game, right? When no yeah. one else was going to be in the store. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, it's like she, he didn't end up really trying to take advantage of her for her money. But I guess I just read it as, I don't even know. I feel like I've watched too many rom-coms. Because <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, a chance encounter. And then she no, falls in love. Probably... No. <laughs> Maybe it's supposed to be like I'm that. really surprised I'm myself. Over I'm so jaded. <laughs> no, I'm, especially about men in particular. <laughs> oh my god, I'm... <laughs> But, like, but you're right, because he doesn't... So that's, like, kind of the thought when he comes in there. You're like, oh, he's gonna... He's, like, younger. He's gonna take advantage of her. Yeah, and that's what she thinks, too. Yeah. That's kind of what she keeps insisting to him. But I guess I guess I didn't believe that he had ulterior motives because he kind of goes out of his way to talk about how he just loves her. Like, and how he doesn't care about the age difference and how she looks young. And But so that was the other thing, actually, that I didn't like. I'm just, like, I think I'm, like... Being a lawyer makes me like over. I read everything like super critically. Which yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like trying to create a narrative. Yeah, about TK. <laughs> <laughs> like prosecuting like him out. Takes <laughs> but like I, um, a thing I wasn't, you know, that I had that gave me mixed feelings about him or made me feel unsure about his, not his, his motives. motives. Like oh. maybe maybe his motives, but like, um, if I like him or not, I guess. Yeah, is yeah. that. Yeah, every time he was saying, like, it's not for your money, he talked about how she doesn't look old. And I'm like, yeah, so, yeah, what if so she did look like old? It, yeah. <laughs> well, kind of show they were still, they were like, sh- I mean, I guess if they didn't, if she, he only knew of her and was that persistent, it was just about looks. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like there was, throughout, I feel like her looks were mentioned, like, so much. Yeah. That... I feel like that was it was like a really important piece of like of her character. Yeah. And like there were a few times That's where I wasn't true. totally sure what to what I thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think I've been watching too much Real Housewives because when my first thought when Janie got with your man is like, "Yes." <laughs> but what a good revet like post break. I did like that too, right? Yeah, like post yeah. like I post marriage, post funeral widow meets this younger man yeah who's like really into how sexy she is yeah <laughs> but no I, I know what you're saying there was a lot of weird things and but I, I guess yeah and I, I think that's why no one can accuse her of glamorizing anything because there wasn't anything in the story that Janie told about her love life that was perfect yeah even, even like what she deserves you know yeah, like right. at the end of the day like she deserves somebody better than tea cake yeah because just, <laughs> just based on the fact that he hit her alone so that that other man who liked her would know that he was quote-unquote in control of hers like no like, that was really weird that's yeah and it was it was kind of seemed out of character too for tea cake yeah it was weird how he like seemed to like rationalize hitting her like he yeah. said he had a brainstorm is what it said Ugh. like it was like he had this great idea of how to like keep other keep this man from pursuing her yeah which was to beat her right yeah i felt like it, it tried to distance him from the act or something 
Yeah. And then Which also... Which I think is what abusers do, so I think that's accurate. Yeah. yeah. And then also when he... He was, like, working all day every day and coming home for lunch and then said he couldn't be away from her all day so she should work out in the swamp oh, yeah. with him. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, like... What? Weird. They were, like, over... Like, when we are introduced to Tea Cake, we've just been... We've seen these other two men and, like, how terrible they are and how much they really treated her like you know, like an object like yeah. just like what she a, like shit yeah and then he like the first encounter he's asking her to play checkers with him yeah and so right away you're like oh this person is someone who wants to appreciate her more fully and treat her as a full person who can think and make decisions and because like a game of checkers is like demonstrating that right like decision making and yeah. like well i think they mentioned that joe stark never let her play chess or yeah. something like that like he just he would constantly attack her into her intellect yeah right so i did like i mean i liked him in that way from the beginning yeah but well i think like i think that just shows how we're set up to have low standards for men yes yes because <laughs> actually i feel like we shouldn't give him any cookies or like any props <laughs> because he was still subpar and he was but he just he actually appreciated who Janie was as a person and i think that's why he kind of endears himself to the reader but at the end of the day he's He's not good enough for Janie. And, like, honestly, in real life, I feel like we do this so much. Yeah. We're like, oh, it's yeah. like, well, this guy is better than the last one, so he's good. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Or, like, the really low expectations of fathers. Like, yes. oh, my God, he changed a diaper. Yeah. And it's like, well, could, shouldn't he be changing half of the diapers? Right. Like, why is one such a big deal? And it's not, like, doing you a favor if he does Yeah. It's, it's like, that's <laughs> part of, he, like, helped bring this... Yeah being into the world and he needs yeah. to help take care of it right so that's just the start of our low standards for men and then like the rest <laughs> of our lives are like <laughs> god but i feel like i <laughs> felt that where sometimes i'm like is this guy actually treating me well or is he just treating me better than the last guy like i've like really struggled with that before and i'm like i don't know and yeah i couldn't tell the difference <laughs> until i went to therapy <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm in therapy so hopefully i'll get there. <laughs> Okay, so we, we talked about this before, too, about how this work was actually ignored for decades until Alice Walker and Mary Helen Washington, who's also a black woman scholar, basically just sought out her archives and wanted to find her work and kind of, like, elevate it and make it relevant again. And I was really touched because I don't know if it was Alice Walker or Mary Helen Washington, but one of them, like, actually tried to find her grave because... Zornil Hurston was buried in an unmarked grave. That's kind of how much she had fell from prominence and how she died. And I really appreciated that because I think women of color oftentimes are the only people who recognize amongst each other how brilliant we are. Yeah. Because we're underestimated so much by everybody else. I think we need to uplift each other and we need to create spaces for each other and we need to preserve each other's work and share each other's work like Alice Walker did because if she hadn't done this we wouldn't have this text and like this text spoke to me as a Latina woman in 2019 yeah you know it's so important to have this text yeah definitely I think you know when someone when especially women of color when someone does succeed and get to that level at that point so many of your peers then are white men yeah and i think it, it's really hard then to like a lot of people don't at that point continue to lift up other women of color because they're 
you know, then they're just in this kind of different world and like lose, I think like lose focus on that. And I, I agree. I mean, it needs to be intentional, Mm -hmm. I think is what I'm saying. Like, like it's easy to forget because like a lot of times when you achieve success, then you are suddenly like, you have to, in some ways you feel like you have to be in this like world with that like is created by by and for white men. Well, it's kind of sold to us as like the highest pinnacle of success. You know, even like within the law world. Yeah. Being a partner at a corporate law. Yeah, firm, right. Being a judge. And it's like, you know, we place so much value on these white institutions. Yeah. And why? Right. Yeah. So I think it's like you do need to make a really intentional effort mm-hmm. to lift up other people. And in this case, it's like you have these authors who actually came later who like went like decades later. back in time no, to like bring right. someone up i need to do that yeah. right yeah. yeah i'm sure there's somebody from like the 80s that really had a great right? it's not published yeah especially salvadorian writers oh my god yeah yeah I I mean, a lot of stuff was lost during the civil war yeah so i i agree like it's it's really amazing that they did that because this book is really important and yeah yeah it could have just been lo- like it would have just been lost if these other women didn't you know, find it and bring it back to, like, public awareness. Right. And uh, in the intro to my book, they talked about part of the reason why it was so important to find this book. In, in both of our editions, the, on the cover, there's a quote that says, there is no book more important to me than this one by Alice Walker. And they talked about how, like, kind of without uncovering Zordon Hurston's work, people were trying to make the argument that the black writer tradition was a male one only. And that's not true. It's just that we didn't pay attention to the black women writers. And I think, yeah, it's it's so critical that yeah. this lineage gets written because otherwise people say things like, oh, well, I don't uh, you know how women of colors aren't, aren't seen as writers. Right. Just because the, still the general public isn't paying attention doesn't mean they're not writers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, and that's true for, yeah, for basically every realm, you know, mm-hmm. just because the general, like, mainstream public which tends to be like the white kind of perspective mm-hmm. on what's good just right. because they're not paying attention to like the classics right? yeah exactly just because they're not paying attention to, to writers of color or artists of color or lawyers of color or whatever it is doesn't mean that there aren't people out there succeeding yeah and that's why i really appreciate my friends who are in academia like my friend alex well, you met alex right from u of a Yes. No. Yeah, no, I read that, that Latina mentorship. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So she is teaching this class called Critical Thinking to the Undergrads, and she's going to play some of my podcast episodes. Oh, awesome. And I was like, yes. Because it it's such a subjective and arbitrary choice, like what is worth analyzing in an academic setting. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I, th- I think it is powerful for us to enter these institutions and to share knowledge in this way. Yeah, that made me think of, I, as an undergrad, I used to volunteer, well, it was like a class, a service learning class, where um, I worked with asylum seekers from West Africa, Mm -hmm. because I was a French major, Mm -hmm. and I was also a philosophy major, and I was talking to some people, they they lived at a place called Freedom House in Detroit, so I was talking to some of the people at Freedom House about being a philosophy major, and one of the men started asking me, have you read any African philosophers? Mm. And I just felt... I felt terrible then because I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even, like, thought, like, no, every, basically every philosopher we're taught is European or American. And Mm -hmm. I don't even think there was a class offered at U of M, the University of Michigan, that would have taught me any kind of African philosophers or African philosophies. And 
I just like I hadn't oh because how it started was I was talking about that I taken a class on on Heigl and he was just like do you know that he teaches that people with black skin are are stupid (laughs) and I was like they actually didn't teach that in my class you know and I felt terrible and I'm like they should. They should teach that yeah. in the class of a high goal. Right. You know, and then it turned into this bigger conversation we had that I'm really thankful for because that was like 10 years ago yeah. or so. But I still remember that. And I'm like, in we need to be aware that what we're learning, even in higher education or whatever, someone is choosing that for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So we say we're taking a class on... You the know, greatest American writers. Exactly. Yeah. Or whatever kind of general philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not really what general philosophy is is what someone chose probably a white person mm-hmm. white man probably mm-hmm. chose for you to learn as general philosophy or or great books or whatever it is you know yeah and i think it's so important to for the students of color in the room to realize like we are creators as yeah well. we are not just subjects yeah So I wanted to ask you if there's a book that you recall reading where you felt like, wow, this book was written for me because I, you know, Alice Walker, I think was kind of expressing that. Yeah. So I would like thought a lot about this question and I don't think so. Yeah, me either. (laughs) There's like parts of certain books, you know, there's like a passage. Right. Like actually there's a passage in this one where she's talking about, actually I thought this part was really interesting where she was talking about her grandmother and it was after her after Joe died mm-hmm. and she said she'd reflected on like where should she go because now she's a widow and she's in this town she moved to with her husband who was the mayor and she's like I have nothing here I don't want to stay here and how she realized like with more space and time I guess that she actually hated her grandma is what she said <laughs> and and then she, awful, yeah. right? but, like, but her grandma did also push her into this yeah. like as like a 16 year old yeah when she talks, yeah, so she talks, can I just read it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So she says, most humans didn't love one another know how, and this mislove was so strong that even common blood couldn't overcome it all the time. Mm-hmm. She'd found a jewel down inside herself, and she had wanted to walk where people could see her and gleam it around. But she had been set in the marketplace to sell, been set for still bait. When God had made the man, he made him out of stuff that sung all the time and glittered all over. Then after that, some angels got jealous and chopped him into a million pieces, but still he glittered and hummed. So they, they beat him down to nothing but sparks, but each little spark had a shine in the song. So they covered each one over with mud, and the lonesomeness in the sparks made them hunt for one another, but the mud is deaf and dumb, like all the other tumbling mud balls Janie had tried to show her shine. And then she talks about how, yeah, how she thought about going to where she was from, and she left there looking for, for something. Yeah. And that people wanted her to be looking for people. Yeah. And I felt like I kind of related to that because I feel like when I left home, like I was looking for something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Same. I still, yeah, sometimes I still feel like I should be going back home. Hmm. You know, because I, I feel like especially in the Latino community, like, It is very family-centric, and I know that works for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but my family wasn't really like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, I read a lot of narratives that really center around this, like, very strong family unit, Mm -hmm. and I just don't relate to that at all, Mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it always even sometimes makes me feel sort of, like, self-conscious or, like, 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 
insufficient or something. Yeah. And so I think like there are pieces of books like this where like this part where she talks about, no, I don't feel any need to go back to where my family was from yeah. and I'm looking for other things. Yeah. So like I, like this part I really, you know, related to, and I think there's been other books where it's like, you know, there'll be like a part where I'm like, exactly. Like that's exactly like the words for something I felt. Yeah. Yeah. There have been books that I, same that like have really resonated with me. Like, I'm trying to, but like, what was the, oh, like, um, the house on Mango Street was one that I related to, but like, it's, it was, that was like talking about the daughter of Mexican immigrants in Chicago. And so I could relate to a lot of it, but I didn't, I didn't read it and think, oh, this was written for me, Yvette Borja. Right. Just because I have, I mean, yeah, I think like Salvadoran representation in literature and novels. I mean, I haven't ever written, I haven't, <laughs> that's a phrase. <laughs> I haven't ever read a novel about being like a young Salvadoran teenager. Right. In the Bay Area. Like that has not right, been written. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've never felt like, oh, this was written for me. Of course I gain things from every book that I read um, and I can probably relate in different ways, but I just appreciated that Alice Walker is very much like, this was a book for black women. Yeah, um, definitely. And I know there's a lot of books for Latina women. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying as a Salvadorian specifically, yeah. that has not been written for me. And also, I think part of it is that um, we don't, like what we were just talking, going back to what we were just talking about, we don't grow up reading these books. At least I didn't. No. Like you grow up like in high school reading like... <sighs> Walt Whitman. Yeah, exactly. Emily Dickinson. Yeah. And those are, like, the great books. And then in in college, even, like, if you take great books or, you know, it's going to be those same classics. And for me, at least, it's not been until maybe, like, the last, like, three or five years that I've, like, been making an effort to read. An intentional effort. Yeah, exactly. Books by women of color. Like, that's when I, like, I'm, like, I want to read something you know, buy a new book, I look for books by women of color. Yeah. And I never did that before. Mm. And so, like, a kind of, like, in, in a way, it's like, of course I wasn't finding a book that was written for me because I wasn't reading books written by people like me. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's, like, you had to actively seek that out and, like, white people just go through the school system being represented. <laughs> they're, like, every book. They're, like, this one is for me. Yeah, like, wow, this one speaks to me. Honestly. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna pee. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna grab my other beer. um so yeah what i was saying is that i loved how i felt there were moments where she was really subtly resisting the patriarchy in her writing like uh at one point uh the narrator says that she's describing the scene where i think somebody made a joke about Janie, or it was honestly i think they were laughing at the joke was 
something and then the butt of the joke was women like that, mm-hmm. that was like what was funny and I totally know what she's talking about I think it looks different in 2019 but I think this is still the same issue of women not being taken seriously mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask you um, if you noticed resistance in her writing yeah I mean I think this this question like I had to think about it a lot because I think like like, I appreciate you, you like, asking that question because I feel like my initial reading maybe was a little more critical. Really? Because I feel like, yeah, like, I noticed more things, like, that I felt like she was... A lot of the identity of the character of Janie is just entirely built around whatever man she's with, what relationship she's in. But, but I think you're right that to point that out because just, like... Just calling out what is happening, actually, like, yeah. is resistance, you yeah. know? And I think she does that a lot. Like, she very, very just, like, smartly um, and observantly just points out this sort of, like you're saying, like, jokes at the expense of women and just, like, um, this, like, patriarchal structure that's all around her. And mm-hmm. she just very kind of smartly points it out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think being able to do that definitely is... Um, it is a form of resistance. So I appreciated, like, having to kind of change my perspective from, like, because, <laughs> yeah, like I was saying before, I think as a lawyer, I just come at things with a really critical perspective. Yeah, yeah, and so I appreciated, yeah. like, like being prompted to switch that mm-hmm. and, like, actually look for, like, oh, yeah, there is some of some, you know, resisting patriarchal structures in this book. And, um... I, I do appreciate that, but it, it, they weren't, like, immediately obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what I really appreciated was how the whole thing was, like... So, actually, the whole book is Janie telling her good friend Phoebe yeah. about her her love life, basically, just kind of, like, updating yeah. her. And, and that's so relatable, too. It like, is! Actually, like, yeah. yeah. So, I've heard other people, like, queer chicano chisme and... Ch- Chicanisma talk about how chisme is political and chisme is really important and I agree like these moments where women gather amongst each other to share about their lives is so radical and so political like I don't know, you know that's how people would negotiate oh like what is okay and what is not okay yeah um in a trusted space yeah no absolutely yeah so I I love that that was what the frame of the whole book was that it starts and ends with that um, because I think there are lots of parts about Janie's story that at the time were probably really racy you know like just the fact that she had multiple relationships yeah and, um, that she left to go to you know because people thought that there was this theory that she had killed Joe Stark <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah that um yeah, and, so, and then it was seen as really as kind of corroborating that, that you went away with tea cake, this younger man. Yeah. Uh, and I just really, and like kind of, and Phoebe, as she walks to Janie's house, hears everybody gossiping and talking, and she's just like, I'm, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to act like I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I'm going to go talk to Janie. And I think it's subtle, right? But she's highlighting the importance of friendship amongst women. Yeah, no, you're right. And it is, like, it's, like, you almost forget that that is, like, the context of the book because it's just, like, the very beginning mm-hmm. where like, it's just, literally. like, a couple pages yeah. where it's, like, Phoebe goes over to her house and then the whole book is, like, 
well, she's like, let me tell you what happened. Yeah. Right? And then the whole book, and then at the end, it's like she finishes soaking her feet because she's sitting there soaking her feet next to Phoebe, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that was what was happening right now. Um, but you're right. I actually, I love that that's the setting of it. It does make it feel more like this is a book, like, for women. Yeah. And, like, to be in that space of, like, women talking to each other is really powerful. That This whole book... Yeah takes place in that space mm-hmm. and and also the very beginning I forgot about this until you mentioned that like in the very beginning it's Phoebe with her husband and some other men who are kind of like shit talking yeah Janie yeah and she's like that's my friend like the stuff you're saying isn't true I'm gonna go talk to her mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll find out what happened mm-hmm. um and, like, that actually, I love that. I, like, I kind of forgot about that because that was, like, before you even know the story, like, yeah. the main story of the book. Because yeah. it really is the first few pages and the last few pages where yeah. it's, like, you realize, oh, this is a story that's being told between two Yeah, friends. But, yeah, I kind of forgot about that part. So, like, you know, rethinking it in that context, like, I, I feel like I can see that more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the resistance. No, I think it is because, um, like, oral... I think this is especially important for people of color. We're talking about academia. <laughs> and I think oral history is how we have preserved our traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. white people who are in, you know, let's face it, academia is primarily white. Mm-hmm. It has been, like, really overwhelmingly so prior to 2019. And so what's saved in the archive is, like, whatever that white anthropologist thought was important. Yeah. Like, and we don't get a say in what's preserved. And so, but where do we get a say? The stories that we tell to our children and to our grandchildren and, or to our friends. And that's what this book was. And, and I love that because I, because it's like, that's true. Like, that is how women learn from each other is through storytelling. Yeah, totally. And then you think about, actually, there's like a lot of. It's kind of like a theme in the book actually is like what like word of mouth like what people are saying around town and it's interesting for you to put it in that context because like if you think outside of this like you know in this world that she creates in this book if somebody asked what happened to joe stark or what happened to tea cake the story that's recorded you know could be actually different because yeah. What all the men were saying yeah. is that, you know, maybe she was poisoning him or, yeah. you know, and it, and you're totally right. Like, this might be the only place that this, which is the, you know, the truth as far as we know it, this might be the only place that that's getting shared between these two women. Mm-hmm. In this book written by a black woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So the last question that I had is about grief and mourning. Janie makes a distinction between grieving and mourning. I guess I can read what she says because I was like, what? Is there a difference? Um, she said, oh, wait, where was that? Oh, wait, it's here. Yeah. She, so where was it? Oh. She's talking to Phoebe about Joe Stark's death. And then Phoebe was kind of telling her that people thought she was moving on too fast mm-hmm. to tea cake and that it was disrespectful. And she says, let him say what they want to Phoebe. To my thinking, mourning on to last no longer than grief. And so I guess she thought that those things mean two different things. Do they mean something different to you? I feel like in 
I don't know. Like, I think, like, in how I think about things, no. But the way she talked about it made me made me feel like at some point in time, maybe, like, they were more... The words had a more different meaning. Like, yeah, that's true. Actually, morning, I have no idea what the history of the words are. I don't know if yeah, they something different. I, well, I feel like mourning meant, like, a period of time that, you know, you're supposed to wear black. And then yeah. after that, she mentioned wearing white. Oh. I didn't even know that. Like, it sounded like after you wear black, then you wear white or something like that. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, like the morning felt like a, like a form, a formality or like a, like, it's not based on your own, your own feelings. It's Mm -hmm. like this like expectation that society has of you that like as a widow, you have to mourn in like a observable way. way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Cause isn't like the expectation always of like. The crying widow, the yeah. sad widow, like right, like can't you can't be seen laughing, seen laughing Happy, or smiling, yeah. yeah, yeah, or they're portrayed as evil. And it's like it doesn't. No one cares how badly he treated her. You're still supposed to, you know, wear black and be miserable. Yeah, because he was an authority figure and he needs to be respected, even if he regularly disrespected Janie. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting at the end when she then is mourning or grieving i guess grieving tea cake um what is oh how does she grieve him well she said i mean she's just i think she's just feeling the loss i guess and it felt much more like pure Mm. i guess actually that yeah that's kind of the distinction that i understood was like that mourning was yeah i i think you articulated it better and now I kind of have a better understanding of like mourning is kind of like that formal thing that you do the funeral right. the viewing the after party <laughs> or the reception I don't know there's a, there's a post thing where there's food right yeah <laughs> and you know like all those days where like your neighbors bring you food mm-hmm. it, yeah and like I think grief I think grief to me is what you have to live with every day when right. you, when you lose somebody. Like, I haven't lost anybody close to me, <laughs> like super super close. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm like I. Oh. Yeah, like I can't. Like, there's certain people in my life I just could not imagine. Yeah. Living without, and I know that eventually at one point I'm going to have to, and it's, it's going to be such a devastating loss that I'll, I'll live with that loss every day. And that's what I think grief is. Yeah. And so that's why when she was talking about Joe Stark and she's saying, I, I don't think grief should last longer than mourning. That to me was said something about how she felt about Joe yeah, Stark. Yeah. Right. I mean, she wasn't that sad. Right? Yeah. Because he's this guy that didn't treat her well and like just limited her. Yeah. Like she said, Phoebe, I don't care what they say. I feel free. Yeah. And actually, I, I'm curious like what you thought about the end, like the very end after she gets I mean, first, like, I thought it was interesting. So after Joe Starr, her first or her second husband, I guess, died, um, she didn't want to go back home where her grandma had been, where her mom might be. Um, so after um, Tea Cake dies, I was like, why did she choose to go back to the that home where she had lived with Joe Stark? You mm-hmm. know, like, because that was like a a dilemma or like an intentional decision she made after joe stark died like where do i go now yeah and then after tea cake died she just went back there and i was wondering if you thought that or what you thought that meant like why you think she would have gone back there and 
I guess just generally what you thought about the ending? I guess I would understand her as going back to that home with Joe Stark because her leaving and going to Joe Stark was her first act of independence of like, I don't care what my grandma says. This isn't working for me, so I'm going to go with Joe Stark. And so she, because she, she says she hated her grandma. Right. <laughs> so I doubt she wants to go back to the childhood home that she had where she's really confused. I can imagine moving back there and feeling like you're going backwards. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, if I were to move back into my childhood home, that there would be no way that I could afford it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, tech companies. But I would, I actually would feel like I was moving backwards. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would, I would feel like a child again. Yeah. And so that's, I guess, on a personal level, I understood why she wouldn't want to go back to her grandma's, especially if she didn't, actually didn't like her or like resented right. her. And like she resented Joe Stark, but her decision to go with him was her own, and it was one that she made completely by herself. That's true. But she could have chose after TK died. She could have gone somewhere, somewhere just random. yeah, somewhere new. Like, how realistic is that? She had, didn't she have a ton of money? Oh, she did have a lot of money. <laughs> but it was like... I don't, know, I don't know how much it was, though. Like, is it enough to and buy like how much did they property? Spend? Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, I wondered about that. Also, like, is she going to build her own house, you know? Yeah. Like, and she, I mean, she obviously had Phoebe there. She had some friends yeah. there, I guess, some community. Mm-hmm. But, like, even though, like... So I don't think it's realistic as a single woman in that time period to just... Set up on your own. That's probably true. I don't think. So at least in that place, it was like, they know who she, had, she is. Yeah. She was a widow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, at the end, it felt, like, peaceful or something. Like, the way it ended, even though she, like, lost her her husband, who she really actually loved. For me, for some reason, the very end felt really, like, peaceful. Or for it felt, like, for the first time... To me, it sort of felt like she was in, like, had independence. I agree. Yeah. Like, I think, re- so the last three sentences are, she pulled in her horizon like a great fishnet, pulled it from around the waist of the world and draped it over her shoulder. So much of life in its meshes, she called in her soul to come and see. I think that was like, even, yes, like, Ginny had these constraints that she could not change. Like, she could not overturn patriarchy and racism right in the united states nation state (laughs) right but she resisted in her own way through going with joe starks through going with t-kick yes it was always with men and of course it was fraught with complications but she pulled in her horizon for herself she wanted a love story and she she got one it wasn't the perfect one yeah but she got one with t-kick and i feel like reading that it kind of felt like somebody who was older looking back on their life and being like I lived a good life. Like, she, like, grabbed the bull by its horns. Yeah. She, and they, what did they say? She, like, dragged the horizon on her fishnet, and then she draped over her shoulders. Like, yeah. Like, that to me is, like, I have lived life. Yeah, right. And also, it was, like, the man she ended up loving and, like, having a much happier life with is exactly what her grandmother was afraid of yeah. for her. Yeah. Like, just getting stuck with, like, some random poor man. Poor person, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like, in that way, it was, like, she, yeah, she got what she wanted. She didn't end up actually, like, living according to someone else's, you know, 
ideas for her. Yeah. And I think I, I love it because it's very real, right? Like, Zora Hurston doesn't shy away from the reality. Like, she still talks about how black men were randomly rounded up and forced to labor. Mm-hmm. And she, and at the end of the day, Janie's, it's like she had choices, but they were informed by patriarchy. Yeah. But, right. I, but I think she, it's important to note that she did resist, even if it isn't the feminist utopia that we have in our right. mind of like, her killing all the men. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I think it's it's just, like, dope to know that. And it's important for us to know as someone of color in this society that we can resist still and that, like, there is a point in resisting. Yeah. And I also, I do love, like, because I didn't think about that before, but now I, like, love this thing, this, like, aspect of, like, that it is fully a conversation between her and her friend. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, like, on the one hand... You know, I feel like I have a lot of friends who I think are amazing women and um, very ambitious and successful. And, you know, sometimes I feel so mad that they, like, some guy, like, doesn't call them back. And, like, they, you know, <laughs> like, I think it's happened to me, too, you know. Where, offended. Yeah, where I'm, like. On their behalf. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that happens a lot. But, like, also I love that, you know, in, like, I feel like I'm really lucky to have friendships like that where, like, mm-hmm. you can be vulnerable, like, yeah. you know, and it's, like, I was being a little judgy, maybe, of, of Janie, of this book, <laughs> because it was, like, it's all about her relationships with these different men, but it's actually, like, this is what she's telling her friend. Yeah. And, like, yeah. if someone heard my conversations with a lot of my friends, you would think that, like, my whole life is just, like, you know, my relationships or something, and of yeah. course that's not true, but, like, yeah, that is your yeah. space to talk about those things. So, actually, I, I like the book even more. Like, I liked it, but I like it even more, like, remembering that context. No, yeah. I appreciate that, too, because I think that is why Cheese Miz Radical is because, like, you know, when you're raised, the patriarchal shit that happens to you is taught to you as normal. Like, oh, me being called hot by a 55-year-old man at 14? They were trying to communicate that that was normal to me. Right. And it's through conversations with other friends who are like, I hate being catcalled. I hate being objectified. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's wrong. Right. The thing is, it, it, like, there is a lot of revolutionary power between women talking to women and talking about the, the specific ways in which women are harmed. And just being able to characterize our own experiences. Yeah. Because, yeah. like you were saying before, like, that's it's not the experience that's getting, you know, that's being written in, mm-hmm. like, the general sort of public consciousness is not our experiences Mm -mm. so just like even have that space to be able to to characterize your own experience Mm -hmm. is so important Mm -hmm. that's so meta because that's what was happening between (laughs) Janie and Phoebe and I feel like that's what happened between Alice Walker and Zorniel Hurston yeah it's like she insisted on keeping Zorniel Hurston in the conversation and like it was a conversation between them two that then, like, we all got to benefit from. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally true. Yeah. Okay, so those are all the questions. And we've been here for an hour and a half. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, so is there anything else that you wanted to comment on the book that you felt like we didn't get to talk about yet? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, thank you for suggesting it. I, I was assigned this book, like, in 10th grade, I think. and. Really? 
I didn't read it. <laughs> and I'm not even, like, that kind of person. Like, I, like, I love books, yeah, you know? Yeah. You went to law school. You probably, you, you were a book reader. Yeah, I like to read. Um, but I think, like, I started reading it actually once. And I was, like, oh, was, like, I, especially I did the same thing. Yeah, like, yeah. when you're younger, especially, you, like, can't get through as much as, like, dialogue that's written in, like, what do you even call that when it's written in? Like, black American or, I don't know. Is it, is it vernacular? Vernacular, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so when something, like, even, like, Huck Finn, you know, was like mm-hmm. that? Like, yes, yes, Something yes, written yes. in this, like, vernacular where you're, like, having to, like, sound it out. You have to, like, say it, mm-hmm. you know, in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't get into it then. Mm-hmm. And even this time in the beginning when I was, like, I'm doing this podcast with Yvette, I need to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> but then after, like, a few chapters, I was, like, oh, I'm actually really into this now. And yeah, I actually yeah, really too. appreciate, like, the power of that 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 expressed and like writing it that way yeah and i said this too like when we were talking about the way that she wrote the dialogue it's like you know it was hard for me to read because it wasn't a natural way of pronouncing the words it wasn't what i grew up around and then i realized oh this book isn't for me and that's why it's more difficult for me to get into it and i need to try harder it's like more effort that I need to exert and it's worth it yeah because this book should not be written for me and it's not it's not written for me and that's totally okay and I can still enjoy it and appreciate it and also recognize why this is it's so critical to have a black text that written by a black woman author talking about the black experience yeah absolutely like, you know. <sighs> okay well hope you all enjoyed the lit review uh Bye. <laughs> <laughs>